0: All right, before we start, I want to let you know about this amazing all in one podcasting platform called Listener.fm. Listener helps you record, edit, distribute, and monetize your podcast all in one place. With just one click, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and others. Check it out at Listener.fm. That's L I S T N R.fm. And let's do this. All right, so. Evan, let's start with the concept of DAO. We are hearing a lot of things in DAO. We are hearing a lot of different extremes that, okay, there is the centralized model that people are used to. There is this new decentralized model, which is called a DAO. And there are something in the in something in between as well. There's a spectrum of things. So first of all, let's start with DAO. Like, How do you explain DAO to someone?
1: Uh, well, for starters, I mean the easy definition here. The reason why it's called the DAO is it stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. Uh, the big picture goal here is that you want to have an organization where everyone has an ability to contribute and make an impact as well as kind of reap the rewards um, of what your entire organization is building. The autonomous part is kind of the, the harder part to kind of see now. Um, a lot of this comes down to really figuring out how to be autonomous because at the end of the day, if you think about building a startup, right, it's really difficult to try and have a thousand, two hundred, or really a large number of people, right, to kind of all have a say in how things are being built. So in this current state as of right now, people have been moving towards a t- decentralized person, but autonomous is still in the works. Uh, in terms of how they actually operate though, I mean, a big part of this comes down to kind of a few things, right? Number one, obviously a community um, with some end goal in mind, something that they're building, something that they're investing in together. Um, and the second part of this is just a collective of capital. Um, generally speaking, it's likely they're using it to either build the product or using to invest or using it to support the community members, right? There's a lot of different variations of this, but um, the funny thing about this though, is there isn't actually a real definition, right? In terms of how mm. there's no like legal thing of saying, oh, you can call yourself a DAO versus not, right? There's no there's no real like hard line on this. And so you often see some DAOs call themselves DAOs, but not really DAOs and others who are definitely DAOs, but don't call themselves DAOs. So it's, a, it's kind of a mixed bag here, but uh, yeah, a lot, lots of really interesting things being built in this space. And I think a lot of this is experimentation as well.
0: Right. And I guess the hardest thing over here is the governance itself, right? Yes. And how are people figuring one that out? Yeah. One of the hardest sorry. One of the hardest. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> one of the hardest. Uh, but in terms of governance, what are the different models out there? And what is turning out to be a common or successful method of governing?
1: Sure. So the big thing that you really need is some mechanism through which people can participate and voice their opinions. Um, this often comes down to like a token model, for example. The easy one is... For every token you get one vote um there have been some things that i've been talking about myself where you can potentially go an nft where each nft gets like 100 votes for example and you can actually weight your decision making on not as binary basis of a yes no with one vote but instead of 100 votes you can say oh i'm like 60 65 convicted and 40 35 percent not convicted and that's kind of a better gauge of actually true opinion because at the end of the day most decision making especially in web3 because it's so new is that you can't have a 100% conviction or 0% conviction on anything. Um, and I think that this kind of new paradigm really is important because um, everyone has their own opinion and like being able to really get the granularity of every single person and then aggregating up at a DAO level is incredibly important. Um, in terms of the actual question though, in terms of structures, um, a lot of this comes down to, I guess the things that you guys are building, right? So um, if it requires you, for example, to say, hey, should a proposal be passed? Generally speaking, that proposal will be the things that are being decided on for the community. Um, and would that be, say, if you're a DeFi protocol, for example, you might want to vote on, hey, should we increase the APR? Should we issue new tokens, right? Those are, the, that. that's one avenue. Another one could be, say, um, a service DAO, which usually is a collective of people who have some specific talent, like, hey, do we want to work with this um, customer that's coming into us and asking for help? Um, another version of this could be like a NFT collective investment DAO, kind of like, Pleaser DAO, for example, or Flamingo. Um, and these are like maybe, um, a proposal to say, hey, do we want to deploy capital and invest in this uh, project, etc." So a lot of different variations, but at the end of the day, you need some mechanism through which people can voice their opinion.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. So just entering a, or buying a token gives you one vote and you then have a similar to a Twitter poll, you have a poll out there that, hey, should we, let's say, increase the interest rate, They increase the APY and then people will use their vote to vote on it Whoever." Uh, whatever the result is, that's how the DAO will move ahead. Like that's how we are picturing this of how a DAO would work.
1: Exactly. Yes. And the best thing about this in general is like when you have so many different opinions coming in, you kind of really get this um, very diversified lens as to how you are making the decision, right? Because once you get to a point of like, okay, this proposal passed or this proposal failed, you can then Go to community and say hey what do we learn from this right especially when it fails you can then talk to the community members and say is there something here that's valuable but like you weren't agreeing with is there something here that we can change that is better fit for your individual need Well, then i started like going up maybe there's like specific groups within the community maybe there's like even all over the community like how how do we change these things to then make it better for you right because at the end of the day these proposals aren't written up by the community they're written up by say one or two people whether that be people in the community or people um, on the core team and essentially they in that specific case would still have, uh, I don't like the word narrow, but like generally mm. narrow, because it's only one or two to three people writing it together. So then once you open up to a community, it's like now a few hundred, a few thousand people who now have more thoughts and inputs from their experiences to say, hey, how can I change this? And how can I make it be more decentralized, more accessible to everybody?
0: That makes sense. So coming back actually to the analogy that I gave, uh, who decides the question of what we are doing And also what if people have a different opinion than the options that are presented to them? So let's say you say that, okay, how much should the API be increased? First of all, why should we focus on API and what could be other questions that we could focus on or other decisions that we could focus on? And number two, let's say there are two options right now. One is 20%, one is 10%. And somebody's like, no, the best answer is 15%. How do we incorporate that? So how does that work?
1: Yeah. So, um, So your first question was in terms of how questions are decided Hmm. and how people want to participate so this usually comes from a little bit of a top-down model where there's a core team that says hey here's an idea here's what we want to build and then that's where the community comes in and officially first starts saying oh i'm interested in say this kind of project and therefore i want to join this community so that's kind of by definition a lot of the community members early on are always going to be people who are either one very very aware of the space and so have a lot of things to contribute and or two are really interested in learning and later on contributing even more um, in terms of actually defining like those specifics of like 10, 15, 20, um, usually it comes down to some reasoning kind of, I guess in that specific case where you have vertical, they might have like a financial model to say, Oh, this is the reason why 10% makes sense or 15% or 20%. Um, and it usually it doesn't have to be right. Like, um, Oh, it's definitely this. Cause you can also do like a new proposal in that case I mentioned earlier, like changing the proposal based on community input is also very valid. Um, and so. What I'm getting at also is that proposals don't just come out of nowhere. Usually uh, people might talk in the community first. And then once we kind of get to a pretty good general agreement, then you write the proposal up so that you have a high level right. of voting, get a lot of opinions first. So one thing that I did for my DAO was um, we had a few different ideas as to what we wanted to like implement. And we basically just went through every single idea. Right? like We had separate, really separate threads in Discord and said, hey, here is the high level concept. Here's a whole write up as to everything we're thinking about here. Like. Business model plan, how we make money, how we incorporate the community, everything, and people like hop in for a discussion. Um, and then from there, we kind of narrowed things down, went through pros and cons lists, um, and then once we got to a point where like, hey, this actually is the best implementation of what we want to do, then we put that as a proposal, and we already know that we got a lot of input already. And so it's not just like a arbitrary like, oh, this proposal showed up. It's like usually a community discussion first, and then proposal comes out.
0: That makes sense. So and how do we manage this power dynamic so let's say if i'm a new person to a community or a dao i would definitely have one token but there are there is the core team that has let's say four, 40 tokens or 400 tokens so what is the power that they hold i'm get, like do they still hold the final decision or the veto power as we call
1: so there's a few different mechanisms to which people implement this um some of this is say they maybe issue tokens where the, t- the founders actually don't get that much and the majority goes to the community Another implication of this could be that the people who submit the proposal have to abstain from it, or maybe the core team has to abstain from the vote. Hmm. Um, so there's a lot of different mechanisms to make sure ensure that the community actually has a better say. Um, another example, of this could be like we might put a cap on how much whales can buy up of the token, um, so that they can pre- like you can prevent them from outweighting everybody else. Um, so a lot of different mechanisms here to keep that in mind. But I'm glad you brought that up. It's really important to to really hone in on before even thinking about launching a token.
0: That makes sense. And I believe while we are talking about all this, number one, this makes a lot of sense. And thank you for describing all these methods and all these models. But how do we actually ensure the transparency and this automation that we just talked about?
1: Transparency and automation are two very different things. And uh, I'm happy to talk about both. Uh, Transparency, uh, the easy one here is just everything's on-chain, right? So Mm. at the end of the day, you can just look at what's Um, on-chain. There's no way that you can really hide it and sure they can different options of like you know changing wallets to all this other complexities but i mean if you look at the news recently like there's been a lot of um, high profile cases where the there's like a lot of government entities have been able to like track things down even through tornado cash for example right to say oh we found this and this and then because everything's on chain even though it's very um, messy there still is a way path through for transparency um, and as we're getting better and better with data analytics um, the ability to hide is much, much more difficult. At this point now, um, it used to be where crypto was like the place to go hide. Now it's going back to cash. that's a place to hide again. Right. <laughs> so that's the transparency part. Um, the second part of this is... Um, automation. I automation, yes. Yeah. Um, so automation is the interesting one. Uh, this one is kind of what I mentioned earlier, where it's still a little difficult to get to a point of automation, largely because we are still so early. And so as we're in the beginning months and years of built, seeing products being built, um, it's hard to give up all the reins to everything, uh, to the entire business, right? I think, I think the day you still need some level of control, like saying, here's how we're defining a roadmap, here's how we're building a product over time. Um, but in terms of like voting, for example, there's a lot of tools out there that kind of allows you to kind of gather all the community input. So one big example of this is like coordinate, for example, right, um, where you can then vote and everything's on chain. And you can see how everything is is going, both transparently as well as um, slightly automated in a way.
0: Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So there are tools in place, and obviously the community is, uh, is actually producing a lot of good tools out there for every single reason or every single application. Uh, I'm curious, what are some concepts of DAO that are actually successful or actually, like, you know, moving the needle out there? They're not just a community to hang out, to chill, but actually doing some real work. What are some successful examples?
1: Do you want like actual protocols or do you want just like examples DAOs. of structural DAOs? Yeah. Uh,
0: structural like actually
1: like, okay, so structurally, um, what's really interesting for me that I've been kind of deep diving a lot into recently has been service DAOs. Um, this one in particular is pretty interesting because of the just need, right? For a lot of really, really high level talent, high, high quality talent out there, um, to help continue help being, to build out the Web3 ecosystem. I mean, again, I'm going to keep saying we're early and, uh, the thing is like any startup, right? Like. The people you need are engineers, uh, marketers, designers, all those same exact things, right? Um, The example I like to give is that um, after talking, I mean, I talk to a lot of founders generally during the course of my work, um, and some of them are web two native, and they say, hey, like, I'm thinking a lot about going to web three, and they think that that's like a silver bullet to solve a lot of their problems. But truthfully, Mm -hmm. um, when you go into web three, and it it sounds difficult when I'm explaining this, but you have the exact same web two problems that you have to solve Plus more problems, <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's a benefit too, right? Like that's once you do solve those problems, the upside is significantly higher. Um, but it's by no means a silver, silver bullet. And so, in terms of some examples of structural DAOs, like in this case, service DAOs, I mentioned earlier, is that um, this is a collective of talent. This is people who these are people who are skilled in a particular area, and then say, hey, like if there are any companies. Uh, whether that web two or three doesn't matter, like you have a need for this specific skill set, you come to us and hire, and you know that there's a high quality bar because there's always been an like, application process, et cetera. Um, another, I mean, interesting protocol, is like De- the DeFi protocols are called protocol DAOs. This one is really interesting because um, what you require heavily is a lot of different financial perspectives and kind of mentioning earlier, that I mentioned like the API changes, it could be a lot of different things, but um, this then comes down to people almost being able to, incentivize themselves or others to do actions uh, within DeFi. So like staking is one mechanism to do this. Mm. Token Mac is a fantastic model of this. Um, curve as well, right? Like, there's all these different mechanisms to incentivize different ways of participation. And I think that's a interesting part as to how you can have that in the DAO structure.
0: That makes sense. And all right, can you define what a protocol is? Because I'm hearing this a lot. Uh, I, I don't have a clear idea of what a protocol is.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, I actually don't know if there's an official definition. I think, uh, it just, oh man. Uh, it comes down to like a, a, a project doing something. Um. Yeah. And the reason I think the protocol is the right word for this is like it's a order of operations and kind of a set of rules as to how things are done. Right. That's a kind of like, I guess the general ish concept of a protocol. Um. And that actually applies really well to most of the Web three companies out there, right? Because your entire business is essentially written smart contract. And you're to point that on chain, and everything that happens has to run that smart contract. And so at the end of the day, um, it's a set of rules that um, when you participate, if this, then this, right? So um, in that capacity, it, it kind of is the reason why I get protocol, calling things a protocol makes a lot of sense. Yeah.
0: Right, right. Okay, so we have covered a lot of things for the DAO, the very fundamentals of DAO. That was good. So thank you. Now, mm-hmm. what is the opportunity for people out there to explore in this entire web3 world one big thing that i'm seeing a lot is layer3.xyz they have come up with these bounties which look very simple if you do it uh if you even start with very simple content stuff like write this content and get like this nft you can get a really good understanding of how this entire operations work but from your perspective what is the opportunity out there for let's say engineers for people who are doing very basic uh normal jobs right now in web2 world and how they want to dive into web3
1: yeah um a lot of this comes down to just playing right like a lot of this comes yeah. down to just seeing what's out there and seeing what you like doing and just keep doing it um and i know that's very vague but i'll get a little more granular here the difference in i say a web2 job versus a web3 one is usually web2 company is like hiring for a specific function and you know you have a role there and they will pay you to do that thing and solve that problem specifically in web3 it's very, very open ended. So, like, you can come in and just like do something. Um, and then you usually get rewarded afterwards, which is kind of like the the, the flip in the dichotomy here. Um, and, and I guess it's hard for a lot of people to think about it that way because they're like, hey, I don't want to spend this time. If like, I'm not sure I'm going to get paid for it. But the yeah. whole idea here is that to contribute first and you get the value later. Um, and then, like, there's a few different cases as to how this would work out, right? There's a, the worst case is you hop into a Discord, you see that there's like some thing that needs to get done, and you go do it. But then it's a, you do a terrible job because you're completely new. That's fine, right? Like absolute worst case here, you just get ignored and like okay, your work just goes, but you have experience now, right? You're starting to get experience. Medium case is kind of two. The first one is like you they like your project they like what you did, what you've done. Um and maybe they say, Oh, like thanks for doing this, like thanks for being part of this our community, whatever, and like kind of stasis. The second version of the middle case is that they're like, Oh, this is really cool. Um there's actually another project that I know, maybe my friend or somebody I've connected to that also needs this kind of similar work, and it'll just connect you to that person. In that case, you kind of then start building more and more experience with more and more DAOs. Um, And the best case here, of course, is like if you're just like shipping great product, then they might even be like, "Yo, I want to hire you and bring on the team, right?" And that's the best case is like just like straight up getting a job in Web three. Um, But the value here is that even though it sounds like you're just iterating through a lot of these different like maybe good to bad, oh sorry, bad to good, it's like also a learning process over time, right? It's like a free learning process where people are just open to you trying things, and if you are not successful, that's okay, right? It still builds your experience, and As you kind of go through all this process, then you get better and better. And then by the end of it, you'll probably find a job if you want to have a job in Web3 or literally figure out, oh shit, like I learned this and this from this and like kind of coming all together, I want to maybe make my own thing. That's even better.
0: That's a really good one. I believe the way you explained that while you're saying that, I'm thinking that that makes so much sense that, hey, your experience doesn't matter. You're like, you know, again, no discrimination comes over here. It's directly based on the input, the work, that you put in into that community into that organization and you get paid you get incentivized based on that that sounds great on the on paper but again i believe that's the biggest reason by why the older generation Will always be a little bit like you know, stay away from Web three because, or won't, won't see a lot of adoption because older generation simply gets risk averse. They have a lot of responsibilities. They want to know that hey, this at the end of this month, I want a paycheck because I want to pay for all this stuff. I want to rely that okay, what if I get this work
1: done or not, and will I get paid or not? So, what do you think about that? It's a very interesting and very salient point, uh, mm. but I think what is relevant to that in terms of a web2 ecosystem is the concept of side projects right Um, a lot of people especially engineers for example um, are very much so heavily like told like hey like go build something right i'm not sure if you were in college and got that advice as well it's like it doesn't matter objectively like how good or bad your internship experiences are like maybe you're maybe unable to get a i don't know top tier tech company on your freshman year summer but like hey go work on a side project build something that's cool And you're not getting paid for that, of course, right? You're just literally chasing what you're interested in doing and then like building, iterating, and then learning over time. And that's the whole concept here as well, right? Um, And that's what you can do also to get started too. You don't have to like quit your job and do this and try and figure it out. You can just say, hey, I have a few extra hours a week. Maybe I'll just spend that, you know, instead of hacking on a side project, this is your side project now, like go find something that someone else needs a problem to be solved and make that your side project. Um, And then just keep having fun with it, right? A whole idea of side project is to test, have fun, iterate, learn, and just keep going from there. Yeah.
0: Exactly, man. I feel a really good segue from here is that, okay, now you are really into DAO. You know how it works. You have some experience. But what made you switch? You were working at Microsoft, you did an internship with Google, and then you started getting into the Web3 world. Like, what was your thing? What made you switch?
1: Yeah, a big part of this was that I had always been interested at the intersection of finance and computer science. Um, coming out of college, most of my friends who did finance or business we were doing banking or consulting. Uh, My CS friends were all doing like software dev or PM. But in each of those cases, it didn't overlap much with the other. And I always wanted to kind of find the definition of both. So back in around 2017, when everything started blowing up with the ICO craze, when I first kind of got into the crypto space. And as I heard more about it, I'm like, wait, this actually makes a lot of sense because it actually overlaps both, right? The financial aspect of it is like the token model is how you think about incentives. But then the tech stack is incredibly important as well. How you build the smart contracts, how you make these rules that, you know, has to sustain over time. Um and that's kind of what was the crypto pill at the beginning. But then what's really pulled me in a lot was one, how interesting the tech actually really is and the opportunity for um I mean people say decentralization and like kind of have this wishy washy vibe for it, but if you really think about the tech stack and how important it is to start opening this up to literally everybody, um, and then seeing what can be built, it just gets really cool the deeper you get. Um, and that's kind of what Kept pulling me in. I think the joke that I make with my friends is that it's kind of just like chasing dopamine, but it works, right? It's just like holy shit, this is really cool. Let's keep learning about that. And like, oh wait, this then open this rabbit hole, and I may go down that one and see what's there. Um, And part of it is also my own interest of like, hey, um, if I find something that's cool, I'm just gonna learn about it. And then if it's not cool anymore, then I'm like, oh, I'm such another thing. And then just like from there, kind of exploring the Web three ecosystem. And the last part of this is it's everything's open, right? There's there's no one gating access really to say, oh, you can't do this or you can do this. And so just what I tell people when my friends who are in web two are like not sure about how to get into web three, literally just like whatever you like doing, keep doing that. And then maybe put it on chain, maybe like start bouncing around different discord and seeing what you like, because truthfully, it's an entirely open field, right? No one knows what the future is going to look like for web three. And so if you have a very particular skill set and you like doing something, keep fucking doing that. And that's it. That's all you have to care about. Um, And somehow, some way things will open up and you'll find a way as you kind of keep pushing at it. And growing what you like doing um you'll find a way to do it in
0: web3 man i love that last year was my year of chasing dopamine like literally traveling nice. a lot and building a lot of projects uh i love that but where were you at from a financial standpoint because definitely that's a big one for people right like they don't they are a little bit afraid right so how did you make that switch were you like would you add your job and still figuring out DAO or still figuring out web3 or did you just jump
1: I admit that I was more risk averse than most. Most of my friends mm. kept telling me to quit my job before I quit my job. Because okay. uh, I think a, a big part of this was like, I'm from an immigrant family. So like, mm. there's definitely a, a, a thought here of like, hey, I need to make sure that I'm able to see myself, you know, support my parents. And so being able like quitting out of nowhere, just didn't make sense to me. But that's where the time project came come in, right? Spending more and more time on things. And um, kind of the way that I jumped into the space was that I ended up building a DAO that slowly over time ended up growing bigger and bigger and taking more and more of my time and i'm like wait this actually makes a lot of sense like what i'm doing makes a lot of sense i enjoy doing this um and then just you know what now that i see that there's actually a lot of traction a lot of people who are very passionate about what i'm building let's just keep going with this and now that i'm like less interested in a web2 job let's just drop that and just go run with this um and the second part of this is also like i think a lot about runway i think there's people who are concerned about that as well and i think part of this comes down to just hustling a little bit, right? Like if it means that you have to go work a side job to, you know, maintain your own runway, that's one option. Another one could be, Hey, let's be frugal right now. I currently have a job, let's save up and then give yourself runway um, to then when you do make the job, you have at least a bit of time between, you know, making the switch and then actually earning income from web three. There's a lot of different options here, but um, by no means, am i saying, Hey, go drop out right now, go quit right now. Like um, I'm more of the opinion to say, do it when it makes sense for you. Um, and everyone has their own situations. You know? So
0: you were still working at your full time job, and on the side you were running this big DAO.
1: Correct. Yes. Uh, and that's cool. Unfortunately, man. or fortunately, uh, the, the the start. So I, after Microsoft, I worked at a startup. It was a fintech company. I worked as a data engineer there. Um, it ended up taking a lot of time, and I think that I still wanted to do both. And I was like, wait, now I'm just trading off on sleep. I was averaging like two, three hours a night because I had that's all this crazy, work to still get done for the for the. Job that pays, and then all this work that I wanted to do because it's really interesting. Um, and by no means I recommend it to anybody. It was it was brutal. Yeah. Uh, I like it's definitely not sustainable. Um, but at the end of the day, like just keep doing what you like doing, and you'll figure it out in some capacity. yeah you
0: know? So how did you earn your first dollar in Web three?
1: So I admittedly earned my first dollar from trading. Uh, my background is also very okay. deeply in technical finance. So one big reason why I got into it was um uh well part of it was tokens but i wouldn't count that really much it's just, like token appreciation it's, like investing early that's besides the point but true like earning uh, money is like for me the when i started really putting capital into web3 and like crypto was in nfts Um, a big part of this was thinking about the, the best businesses and really kind of scoping out and saying i might ignore all this noise of like hey this project looks cool because xyz person said it's cool it's more so going fundamentally and say why is this going to be sustainable why is this not just about the floor price. How is this going to continue growing over time to build an actual business? Because I think of the day, regardless if you're an NFC project, any DAO, uh, you have to build a business. You have to build something that's a sustainable revenue, um, having outside money come into the ecosystem. And that's the only way you can grow, right? If you constantly focus on many um, solutions to, sorry, many bandages rather than a solution uh, to many of the big problems of like, hey, why is my token price falling? Why is my NFT floor price falling? That's never going to get you to the top. That's never going to make it a good investment. And so, for me, the way that I made money was being very technical and saying, "How do I get as much information as possible, even though it's so early," and just investing on that. Um, and at the end of the day, as a, as a trader, the more volatility there is in the market, the more, um, I guess, people who are pumping and dumping or like you know a lot of fluctuations in price means that there's a lot of opportunities for arbitrage. Um, and so that I guess that's the reason why I made my first dollar there. And uh, right, yeah, I mean that's just like a more technical finance side of things, but. yeah.
0: That makes sense so definitely the token appreciation was happening on the side as a passive sort of passive income uh but mm-hmm. mainly you were trading and you were trading nfts mainly
1: yeah mostly nfts i okay most of the tokens that i held were just like most of long-term investments so i haven't like sold many tokens to like swap back to fiat it's mostly been um just like nft flipping i put up but i set amount in and then from there i was like I kept trading it more and more um, and so that, to to be frank, like that also helped a lot of my runway myself, right? Like I now have a pretty like good sized portfolio. I have a good amount of you know ETH, good amount of other those tokens as well. And so it's like, hey, if it absolutely worst case, I can always just sell those and still get myself more runway. Yeah. You
0: know? Right. Are you comfortable sharing some of the numbers over there of trading NFTs, trading some initial NFTs?
1: What do you mean by sharing numbers? <laughs> Showing numbers
0: means at what number do you bought them what, how much are you traded for and what was the profit you made oh
1: yeah yeah for sure um one of my best uh projects that i like made one of the most projects made the most money on was cryptodes um okay i bought like <laughs> i think six or seven of them um when they were like 0.0, 0 or 0. 0.1 something like very 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 low like really like pretty much right after mint um i unfortunately sold it too early but i still i mean i made a lot of money from it but i but I sold it at like around an average of like one or two ETH, like each, okay. um, but they pumped to like 10, 15. Um, yeah. It's fine. Like I made a lot of money objectively like from that. But what I'm getting at here is that <sighs> you have to be very diligent as well. Um, A big part of this is like recognizing that at any investment, realistically, you have to have entry and exit points. And for me, that exit point was where it was. And so fundamentally, I'm glad that I made that trade. And I know that there are often times where I might miss out on some upside, but you have to be very much so strict as to maintaining your, I guess, emotions and saying, how do I be very structural about making trades in this ecosystem? Again, because so noisy, so much volume, so much like just arbitrage happening, that you have to be very particular and so much scammers too, right? Um, so yeah, being very, very specific about that. Um, another one that I wanna kind of plug here is uh, my first NFC was through Bright Moments. So they're a in-person NFT gallery, um, based out in originally Venice, California. Wow. Um, and they have this. Uh, their their first drop was Crypto Venetians. At the time, it was uh, when they first made the NFT collection. It was mostly just to like incentivize people to like, come to their gallery, see all the, like the in-person like visual like NFTs. And they said, hey, if you come, you can get a free Crypto Venetian. And then the team is incredible. They end up like doing incredibly well, and like the Crypto Venetians ended up ended up like pumping up in floor price all that stuff like all the good things but that's the one project i won't sell because it's just like my first NFT. i love the way it looks everything about it the team's fantastic i, I love being part of the community um and they're just doing great things i mean they're also having uh they expanded their collection from a thousand to now ten thousand they're doing across ten cities um they did new york second uh they're currently in berlin for the third drop and then they're doing i believe london after four for number four wow. um i don't mean to show them but like that's like a really really <laughs> project that i'm glad i got in really right in the beginning yeah i got i was like mint number 80 so <laughs> wow
0: okay it, it's it's cool right because this is these are like really small communities and if this community explodes then you build a lot of reputation that okay you were the early believer in this community so you 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 gain a lot of prestige over there Well, that's cool uh help me understand what do you mean by in-person gallery that sells nft like how do they work
1: yeah, so the difference here is most NFT projects, they will just allow you to mint online, right? You just connect your wallet, mm. and you click mint, do a transaction, and then you get the NFT in your wallet. But for them, they require, an, and you have to physically be in their gallery in order to actually mint the NFT. I think this is really important because this is kind of thinking more about how you are particularly with your community. At the end of the day, with most NFT projects, you don't necessarily know who everyone else is in the community, right? You just like maybe one or two mm. people max that you might have like seen around, but most people in there are trying to make money in some capacity and that's all pretty much all the incentives are in this case it's saying hey we want to be one very peculiar about particular about curating this community to be the right people but then also what i like about them a lot was they also gave out free ones just to say hey we actually want to bring in people who aren't in crypto and and, like educate them and actually physically meet them so that we can actually like have a one-on-one connection um This big picture wise is why it's so important to have interconnectedness with the community. That's the hardest part about Web3 is that everyone talks about the importance of community, but it's not about the number, right? That's just a vanity metric. What's really important, and this is very intangible, is how strong the interconnectedness of the community is.
0: That's so true. And how would you measure that? that? That makes a lot of sense, vanity metric. I know a lot of my friends who have built huge communities I basically have two friends. One built a huge design community for product designers, mainly helping product designers in their career. And second friend who made a huge community. Again, if you go on LinkedIn, these are the top two ones, design buddies and product buds. The second friend built out a community for product managers. Now, when they actually promote that, hey, our community is the largest community with 20,000 members, it sounds weird because half of them are not active and mm-hmm. you it's really hard to manage and operate such a huge community so what w- what do you think again because you are thinking more from a fundamentals perspective from a trading perspective from a finances perspective what do you think what or how do you think of the fundamentals and how do you uh, sort of judge a community how good that is or even an
1: nft are you saying judging or are you saying like creating the community i can think of two very different things
0: Judging. So let's say if judging. a community comes yes. across you and you are like, okay, what metric, what fundamentals should I judge this community on such that I should also go and invest my money?
1: Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll take it from a trader's perspective and I'll take it from an investor's perspective. So on a trader's perspective, the one metric that I like to use is um, just numerically, right? If it makes sense to have this community size. Um, what I mean by this is, let's say there's a collection of 10,000 NFTs that are trying to sell. Um, but the important part is if you've been like in an impression before is for the project to sell out because if it doesn't there's just a lot of you know noise churn people like just like oh i got run forever right there's a lot of um bad actors who just like say you know what screw this like i'm out because clearly this project isn't big enough um, so the one thing i often did this was as of last summer and it's a little different now but as a trader it was more so saying if they are selling say next number i want two x people in that community in that discord server um, uh, minimum. And that's an assumption there where the project will sell out and there will be maybe a like ten to twenty percent pump post mint. Um and this gives me some context for again, entry and exit point. If it's like three four x, that's usually a little more bullish, and so I'd buy maybe a few extra ones at mint. Um, and then at the end of the day, just like thinking about how engaged the community is because mm-hmm. more often than not, there could be bots. There could be people who are just like spamming to try and get like a whitelist spot, for example. Um, so really think about how people are talking to each other what are the actual actions that are happening in the community that um makes people want to stay right to your point of how do you keep people active how do you make sure that a 20,000 mm. community isn't half empty um is some events going on like right? some easy examples of just like you know maybe the founders hosting AMAs I know I've seen people um put in like poker tournaments just like with either real money or fake money um some people have put in like different gaming games and stuff they maybe have like a called Garter, I think it's like, you're guessing some, like, uh, word There's all these different games you can do, right. There's just so right. many things that like, keeps community engaged. Um, that's the most important part in terms of, again, I guess I'm slowly shifting to the investor side of like, then how do you recognize that people are actually participating in a meaningful way? But still the difficult part here is that, especially with discord being discord, um, it's very difficult to try and collate down to say, Hey, of the, you know, top X number of people, how many of them are active and of the total number. What percent is actually participating obviously as a discord manager you can see all those things but most people don't put that out there and so um a big part of this now actually is actually looking for discord competitors and i, I think i found a, a handful there's one in particular i really like um that actually has natively built in like a leaderboard where you like can, can see um then there's a point system where it's like if you contribute if you like say comment post you know like or whatever and you can get points for it and that kind of represents some capacity of like Having a scale of who and how many are participating.
0: Right. Interesting. So even from a members' perspective, it's really hard for the, even them to be loyal, right? Because there's so much FOMO. Mm-hmm. There's constantly new people who are legit people who are coming up with really good ideas and coming up with really good DAOs, and they're thinking that hey, let me let me look around, let me look let me join all these communities and let me see what works for me. So how do you see that when people don't have like you know true loyalty? Uh, like it's we shouldn't judge loyalty over there over there, but at least yeah, they're here to try out everything, whatever opportunities they can get.
1: Mm. I think about this a lot now. I've been really being, I'm really being very um, specific as to the people I'm building in my community now, and very particular about who will and be able to join. The reason mm-hmm. for this is to your point, right? People are it's so it's so free flowing that it ends up being you don't necessarily get the best community members, and even if you do, they might not be incentivized to stay. So one thing that I one concept I've come up with, which I am going to tweet about soon. I don't know when this podcast will come out, but uh, this concept called a minimum viable community member. Nice. The idea here is, regardless of how much you contribute, let's say at the very very bottom, there is somebody who just is in the Discord for some reason. Um, there has to be at the minimum two things. Number one, there has to be something that they're getting value out of. So the idea is, like for example, if it's a maybe educational doubt, like maybe they're learning something, they're actively learning something. Um, and then the second piece of this is they're contributing in some way that their presence in this community increases the overall value of the community. There's a reason they're there. Um, and the way that I think about this is quite literally having one-on-one conversations with every single person I'm bringing to my community. The reason for this is you can then talk to them and say, hey, what are your missions? What are your goals? How does that align with our missions and our goals? and truthfully if it doesn't align and i can't help you and you you know doesn't quite like fit in the community then clearly like there's not a match and so i'd rather not have you come in and out in turn i'd rather just say hey i like, appreciate the conversation we're just going to part ways here and like if, if there's an option later on where you think that this is helpful then we can have another conversation right but the reason for this is also you want to have an immediate impact right from the beginning more often not like a discord might have like a you know welcome thing that's some bit, bit mm. of text but that's usually not helpful right people don't actually even read most of when they you know, hop into like 15, 20, 50 plus discords. Yeah. Like, who cares? At the, at the end of the day, it's just like you're just scrolling through to get rid of the notifications, right? Yeah. Um, so, in my mind, it comes down to them saying, once you understand what their problems are and what they're looking for, and you're able to provide that solution, to right after the call, literally just say, hey, talk to this person. Here are some resources. This is for your specific use case. And therefore, with that, they'll get immediate value. It's kind of similar to kind of how like YouTube videos, for example, are successful versus not. Um, I like to. You know comment on mr beast for example um where his I, he's talked about this before where he says um his whole concept is at the like the first 30 seconds you want to have to immediately engage with the person that's watching and then two show that hey this is what you're going to see right like value in some capacity to then keep them in the retain for the rest of the video that's why his watch time is so high right it's the same concept here in terms of community engagement because once you are able to solve their problems right from the beginning it's like oh shit, that makes sense like oh wow and then they're more incentivized to want to stay and participate The second piece of this is then how do they add to the community? And so this then comes down to being very um very clear from the very beginning of like setting standards, not standards as in like good or bad, but it's like standards as in these are the requirements as to what I'm expecting of this person, of any person in this archetype, for example. And then once you have an idea of who your ideal community member or members are, those archetypes, then you start fitting into those archetypes. Then you have a better concept of like, hey, this is how I can help these kind of people and these kind of people and these kind of people. That's then how you, in my opinion, build a more enduring community. And then with each of these, you can then say, better yet, hey, there's another person who joined last week. You just talk to him because, or him or her, and like, you can then have then the and start building that too. Um, so it's, it's kind of a two-sided street here, but um, mm. I think it's very, very important to not worry about the number, but worry about the people specifically as to why they're joining.
0: Yeah. Definitely. So I love the concept of minimum viable, <clears throat> minimum viable member. Community, community that's member. That's what, yes. right? So that's the that's the term that we are. Uh, what's the what's the right term for that? That's the new word that we are coining today. All right, that's the new term yes. that you're coining.
1: Yes. <laughs> I, I've been telling a few friends about it, and they like love it. And I guess I haven't put in a public forum yet, so I guess this might be the first one. Both. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna start writing some more about this. I have some tweet threads ready to go. Um, yeah, I'm be posting soon. So. You yeah, should quickly um,
0: write a Twitter thread about it so that people can come back that, okay, you are the original creator of this. Demo. Exactly, yes.
1: Might even mint an NFT. But I don't know, I'm
0: kidding. <laughs> you should do it. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Why not? Why not? Uh, but coming back to the question or coming back to the concept of this, exactly, if we put so much effort into finding those community members, this is it's going to be hard to scale that. So what is the community uh, strength or what is the number of members that you're looking at to start with?
1: Yeah, so um, a thousand is going to be, in my opinion, probably the first thousand that I will talk to every single person. It's a lot mm-hmm. of time, objectively, but I think it is time. That's a thousand phone really, really calls. Well spent. A thousand phone calls. That's right. Yes. And I think from there, then once these first thousand have a good understanding of both the expectations as well as the value that needs to be contributed, then they can then start bringing their networks in, and then they can almost centralize it in a way and almost empower the community to then say, "Hey, go through the same process that I did." And you know, the values you've been here for a while, you recognize why it's important for all these things to happen. So maybe just giving them the ring and saying, Hey, why don't you have these conversations with the people, right? If it's your friends really make sure and hone in on whether or not they will be a good fit. And it's not necessarily to say that I'm trying to gatekeep. It's more so to say, I don't want to just open this wide open to like, just get numbers up. It's again, how do I provide value to them and how do they add value to the community?
0: That makes sense. And actually want to go back to the concept that you're talking about, about, governance, how are you going to make sure that the community doesn't run because it's an important concept. So how are you going to make sure that a community doesn't run according to your wishes, but based on a set rules that are set by the community itself?
1: Well, the whole concept is they should not just run by my rules. <laughs> right, it's a DAO. So they have, their, they have the right to their own opinion and they should be voicing it. And if I'm ever in a place where I'm like, saying something that they disagree with, I would love for them to tell me why, right? How can we change this? How can we improve over time? Um, But in terms of the government specifically, right? Like there's a lot of mechanisms for them to participate and kind of express that disagreement or agreement. And all this is a learning process too, right? Because at the end of the day, we're all just individual human beings and we have our own experiences, but everybody else can contribute theirs as well. And by the definition, you just have a more diverse set and ability to make better products, better solutions, um, and just a better community overall, yeah.
0: Definitely. This is very interesting. Uh, yeah, let's talk about the future of F3 now. What all other things other than DAO are you seeing right now? And what are you excited about?
1: The one big one um, is multi-chain. So the concept mm-hmm. here is, let's just get definition out of the way first, is there's cross-chain. and People will talk about multi-chain. Those are very, very different concepts. So cross-chain is a focus on a one-to-one relationship between chains, whereas multi-chain is a either one-to-many or many-to-many relationship between chains. And the reason this is important is because um, realistically, there is not going to be just one or two or three chains that exist in perpetuity, right? Even the easy example here is like ETH and Solana are already two really big players and they have kind of their own specific use cases already, right? ETH is very, very secure, very reliable. And so a lot of DeFi protocols are deployed there. And Solana is like high throughput, high transaction speeds. um, And therefore a lot of like, for example, play to earn and gaming solutions are on there. Um, With that, right, then they need to all talk to each other. The whole concept of centralization is that you can own your own data and you can do whatever the hell you want with it. Uh, but the problem is if the chains can't talk to each other, then you have big problems. Um, a very salient problem that's recent uh, is, like, for example, the Ronin bridge hack. Right? The only mechanism through which cross-chain works is when a third party sits in the middle between two chains and facilitates a transaction. Whether that be a centralized entity where like, people are doing the transaction or even a smart contract. Right? But that's still a point of risk. Um, And that that was very salient for like that Ronin hack, as well as, you know, also recently was like a a wormhole hack. So wormhole is the bridge between ETH and Solana. Um, And at the end of the day, if you want to truly live the Web3 ethos of removing all middlemen, having a bridge is the middleman, right? There's still a third party there in that transaction. Um, Mm. Going to the multi-chain idea, what's different is that you have one-to-one transfer of assets. Like you can quite literally take the asset from chain A to then move to chain B. Whereas in the cross-chain ecosystem, it's maybe a minted representation of it, maybe it's um, a wrapped asset. So not exactly the same token or asset that's coming from the original chain to this new chain. Um, And so with that, multi-chain is really interesting because again, as more and more chains are being developed and there's new use cases coming up with new industries that might have different requirements, as long as they build within some multi-chain ecosystem, they can all talk to each other, right? data can move around very freely. And it allows you to as an individual, for example, to say, hey, I don't wanna use this chain anymore. I don't wanna use this protocol anymore. Let me just take all my data with me. My data, it could be as easy as assets, but it can like be, the way I think about it very easily, is like very favorable healthcare data, right? The if you if anybody here, I guess listening has, you know, transferred from one healthcare provider to another, there's, there's so much like that's like makes it difficult. Right? You have to call your own provider, your original provider say, hey, there's this new provider I'm going to, can you transfer all my stuff over? And you've been missing something like, oh, there's a lot back and forth. Alternatively, you can just do it yourself, right? Like if the multi-chain ecosystem exists and you can just like port everything over yourself, then what's the point of having middlemen in the first place? You can just go to the best solutions. And that's the best case here, right? Where people are competing against each other, where normally you'd have to like sit in silos, but then now it's like, because there are no silos and you're able to freely move back and forth, if there's a better solution somewhere, for any kind of use case, just move it, just go there, right? <laughs> um, that's kind of the great thing about web 3 where It's not the richest, it's not the uh, most well-marketed, it's the best solutions that are the winners.
0: That makes sense. This is very interesting. So we just talked about multi-chain versus cross-chain and you explained the entire concept. Uh, with regards to Ethereum, right now, just to give you more context, actually two, two more questions or two specific questions over here. Number one, I sold my dating startup and I sold to a person who lives in a different country. And he was like, hey, crypto is the easiest way for me to transfer your money. So he sent me USDT or coin. Now, I need advice. What's the best way or what should I do with these stable coins? That's number one question. And number two, he said that Ethereum has a lot of high gas fees. And that's the reason why I don't want to send you Ethereum. Why is that happening? So yeah, two questions over here. What should I do with my stable coins that I have right now? Mm-hmm.
1: And number two, why is gas fees of Ethereum so high? Yes. Um, number one, before I answer the question, this is all not financial advice. By no yeah. means should you take my, you know, what I say as, <laughs> as fact. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different options, right? You can, and again, that's why the reason why like both multi-chain is really important as well as just the Web three ecosystem It's like, you can swap it for anything. You can swap it for Ethereum, you can swap it for, you, know, you can use it to buy NFTs, you can use it to stake. You can do so many different like yield products, a lot of these kind of protocols out there. Um, or can you can use it to invest, you know, really there's like a lot of, or I mean, best or middle case, you can just swap it back to fiat, right? <laughs> do a want right. of that, right? So a lot of different options here, um, which I think is the great part about having a stable coin. But um, in terms of the second question as to why gas is expensive. Well, it's a, it's a very particular case for ETH itself um, and the big reason for this is they are technically right now still proof of work. Um, they have been working over the past few years to do proof of stake to kind of make it easier, cheaper, faster. But at its current state, it's proof of work, which means that the more transactions that come through and the more people that are using the platform, the more congested it gets. Because for Ethereum, they run uh transaction in order. Um, basically, if there's then 100 transactions, then it has to go one, two, three, all the way down. So it just takes more time. Um and realistically, that's why a lot of these solutions like layer twos, for example, I'm gonna bring up again kind of print back multi-chain, are coming to try and solve these problems. But there's a problem with this, right? Um layer twos are pretty much solving a short-term problem and it's more of a bandage than a real solution. What I mean by this is it's a short-term problem because truly to solve this problem, it's you have to fix Ethereum, right? At the best case here is to upgrade update the smart contract, update the how the chain operates but the problem with this is already very salient. There's this thing called the merge that had initially been slated for release in 2019. And to this day, it's still quote unquote, kind of happening. Um, it hasn't really been fully deployed. It's still a lot of problems with it, right? So um, the reason for this is again, there's just so many people to try and have to agree with, which is a good and a bad thing, right? But the problem with that is that once you recognize a problem exists, especially in ETH, is that you can't solve it quickly. Um, mm. So the alternative here is then you have to then either make a new chain and then with that be able to move those assets to the new chain. And that's the problem now with ETH is that it's not really possible. And so people would layer twos. But layer twos again are just a bandage to the problem, not the solution. And they only solve a short term problem because they themselves also create a separate problem, uh, which is kind of a concept of fractional liquidity, which I can talk about later on if you're interested. Um, but at the end of the day, there's just Again, not thinking about the medium term. And I, the way, the reason I'm using these terms, like medium term, short term, long term, is because that's how you should be thinking about crypto. Um, you should be solving medium term problems in my opinion. Short term problems are just things that are just like small bandages. Medium term problems are things that you recognize are, be, are going to come up in the near future. And therefore you start building for it now. And long term problems are really hard to solve for and plan for because I think day, crypto is so new that there are gonna be significantly exponential more use cases in the future and more problems coming mm. up there. So the best thing you can do as an investor, as a builder, as an operator, is to go solve those medium-term problems. Yeah, And that in my sense. opinion, sorry, just to close this out, is go multi-chain ahead. is a medium-term problem that's being solved. Yeah,
0: That's very really interesting, man. We touched on a lot of points over here. Uh, with regards to Ethereum, so you mentioned that it would be really difficult. Obviously, now a lot of people are relying on Ethereum. It is seen as one of the most sought-after blockchain. People want to mm-hmm. transact on that. People want to interact on that. What is a... What would be an ideal solution, ideal fix over here for Ethereum?
1: Well, upgradability um, is the most important thing here, but it's clearly not existing. It doesn't exist on Ethereum as a very easy mechanism. Um, the one solution, which happened many years ago when Ethers was really early, was when there was a big hack. They just forked the chains. It was like Ethereum Classic and Ethereum, right? So that's another option. But again, this then comes down to why multi chain is important because. If you can't have the ability to upgrade contracts, upgrade the way that your chain works, then you can't really improve it, right? It's, it's so difficult because I'm, I, objectively, yes, Vitalik had the biggest brain to even come up with from Bitcoin to Ethereum, but then right. from there, it's like, because everything's immutable, how do, you, how do you change that, right? How do you make it so that once you start encountering new problems, upgrade it and make it better? Um, one solution to this is actually building the upgradability into the way that you're deploying the ecosystem, or two, just having multiple chains so that once one chain ends, becomes obsolete, you can start switching to another chain, yeah.
0: That makes sense. And I believe if we go the multi-chain route, there will always be sort of a lifetime of a new chain. So let's say this chain lasts for five years and we come up with new problems, we come up with more ways to improve that, and then we go to a new chain. Is that is that how the future will work like in multi chain future?
1: That's one of the versions, yes. I think, and I think that's the that's the one that I'm really excited about. Um, okay. And the reason for this is because when you're trying to test and iterate, especially within Web three, because you, because you don't know what the solutions truly are going to be, um, having someone who has an idea just gives an ability to then deploy a chain and maybe have some level of success. Let's say so. Example I like to give is let's say you're like a sophomore in college studying CS, and you're like, oh, cool, this is some new concept that i want to you know test out and maybe because he's a sophomore he or she's a sophomore like doesn't know too much and just you know spin something up and being like pretty good but like maybe not the best implementation and let's say in six months a phd or maybe like a 20 30 year experience computer science dev um says oh wait that's a really interesting way you solve that problem but because of my experience i actually know how to make it better and i just build it and either work together with the original creator or just compete against them. And again, kind of going back to the idea of the best idea wins and best information wins. By Mm -hmm. definition, people will then opt opt to want to have the best solution. And then it'll naturally migrate over to this new chain.
0: That makes sense. That totally makes sense because yeah, this shows that there's always a better way. There's always a better solution. And yeah, Vitalik has definitely done a great job. He's still writing about really interesting uh, concepts mm-hmm. of how to improve this further but it's interesting how like you know maybe we need a second ethereum or a third mm-hmm. ethereum because there's already a second ethereum yeah uh, that's super cool but yeah now let's get into twitter what is the most interesting thing you're seeing on twitter right now
1: i'm gonna toss out a meme i guess a little bit because it's <laughs> talked about a lot um, and i guess i'll talk about a few a few other things but um, the first one the meme is like music and a tease. everyone's just talking about it but okay. objectively, not much has been truly built and truly built in the right way in music NFTs. Mm-hmm. I think the the story makes a lot of sense in the sense that, hey, we want to help empower creators, whether that be in this case for music, but like broadly speaking with NFTs in this concept is helping creators like artists, um, literally anything, right? Like to then monetize the work they're doing and actually have ownership over what they're creating. Um, the difficulty here is that I think a lot of the people who are currently in this space may have incentives misaligned where for example there are people who may already been successful with the web 2 paradigm of how the music industry works right um but then in this case if you're trying to then build the web 3 it's like well does it make sense for you to try and make it the best version of it because you've already found success in web 2 um and on web 3 it's like well we're trying to actually empower the, the little guys and so truly i think in this case what's interesting here is actually finding the people who are kind of like middle of the ground like really good music artists but Maybe hadn't gotten as popular because of the way they were restricted by record labels, restricted by the way their um, ownership of their, mm. their royalty rights, you know, um, and then say, hey, these guys actually have the incentive to truly make it the best it possibly can be in a decentralized world, because for them, part of it's financial, of course, right? Part of it's also like, hey, they, they understand why it's so hard. They understand why this prior model exists, but they then also understand, hey, now that I've been here, how can I make it better? Um, and so, yeah, generally speaking, music NFTs is one thing, just like funny-ish meme, because everyone like talks about it, but no one really does much with it yet. Um, and then I guess the other thing I'm looking at a lot is implementations of how NFTs can be used. So this one is really dependent on, I guess, the people you follow, and maybe it's a little you know more niche. But uh, the interesting idea here is that, that it's not about NFTs and PFP collections. Uh, it's about the actual technology and how you can then use that to leverage and create new solutions. Um, one example of this is like fractionalizing NFTs. Um, another example of this could be um, like privacy preserving NFTs. So maybe there's like maybe a public and a private version of like the data that exists on the NFT. Other versions that could be like sold out NFTs, which is like one that you can't transfer, right? So the cool thing about these is that even though we started off the NFT craze with just a JPEG, um, Now that people are starting to think more thoroughly about the tech stack itself and how they can actually use that to build something interesting, it's something that I'm really, really passionate about, like just following along and seeing what's being created. That's interesting,
0: man. Uh, The the one you mentioned about music, I believe definitely music will have a lot of adoption over here, and there is a need to find a better solution because I believe I was just reading a week ago or two weeks ago an article about the entire music industry and the record label. I was talking about like you know how sometimes uh, the artists are basically like you know they really want to sign that deals, they sign it, but then it's a big trap for them because now most of the earnings go away to them and they are stuck in this 10-year or 5-year deal. Uh, definitely, there there needs to be a better way for this where they can monetize uh, their art and also do all the things that get along with it, like, you know, being able to create these really high-production uh, music videos, which they want, and don't have to rely. Maybe what if they can just raise that money from people who love their music rather than going behind these record labels? So that's good. Exactly. Yeah. I think I heard that... Some of the big guys on Twitter, they were working on a music NFT, I believe it was called Tunes, and it was very much similar to that NFT or that yeah NFT project, which was, I again forgot the name, but the, like even a year ago in NFT or Web3 world looks like a long time. But what was that NFT called, which was basically just a black uh, sheet and there were just random like, you know, uh, random powers written on that.
1: Oh, like yeah, talking my loot. Yeah, I think I think I'm talking about loot. So basically, yeah, like there was this tunes like a thing. Yeah, yeah, black square with yeah. white
0: text. Yeah, right. Yeah. So uh, I believe tunes was very similar to that. It was just a random either music wallpaper, like a artist album, a cover art, or it was just random lyrics. Okay. Are you aware of that?
1: I don't think I've heard of Tunes specifically, um, okay. but I think it's an interesting concept. I think the when you're saying that it compares to loot, it makes a lot of sense, right? Um, the idea for loot just for people I guess listening, is just that yeah. um, a lot of this was just auto-generated of like, just text mm-hmm. and maybe you can then use these components to create a world or some characters out of it. And I think that's pretty salient, especially in music, because hey, maybe you just need new ideas. And I think that's a really interesting way to like say, well, instead of me pulling out of thin air, maybe uh, <laughs> an algorithm can generate some words and some thoughts and maybe some stems for me. And I'll build from there. So that's a really interesting concept. I think that's more so helpful for people who are getting into the music industry. Um that less so for people actually already creating music yeah normally in web two and then trying to go to web three. Yeah.
0: Definitely. Definitely. All right. So last thing I want to talk about is the entire corporate world. So how is the existing big tech adopting Web3? We're seeing Twitter being big on this. I know Stripe and Coinbase, obviously Coinbase isn't into crypto. They are hiring a lot in terms of Web3 team, building the Web3 team, but what are you seeing the other big guys to Microsoft, Google in the Web
1: three space? So a few thoughts. Um, I think the one big thing that I care about most, just zooming out for a second here, is um, the their ability to actually build products that is truly decentralized and actually lives Web three ethos. The big problem with this is that, um, for example, if you invest a ton of money into building a metaverse, right? what's the incentive for them to want to open this up and give it to give ownership to people who are participating. There needs to be mechanisms for that. And I think, um, depending on how they continue executing over time, it might be good and that might be bad, right? It's like, for example, if, um, you know, Facebook, Facebook would on the route of creating a metaverse, uh, to kind of be some, you know, ecosystem where people can participate the, the question mark here is that, are they just building it because they're capturing the hype? or are they building it because they actually believe in the Web3 ethos? And I'm not gonna comment either side. I mean, I don't, I don't truly know, right, um, their incentives. And I think that's the, that's the really interesting thing about how they're at least deploying capital in the best case here. Well, actually the medium case here is that at the very least they are developing and creating new like things that the Web3 Ecosystem can use, um, whether to learn from, or actually if they were to implement it in a very decentralized way, to then open it up to, to more people. Um, so, generally bullish and happy that a lot of these tech companies are leaning into the space. And so, hey, the more times there is, the, the faster we can grow. Yeah.
0: Definitely. I feel like it's the same scene that we are seeing on Twitter versus LinkedIn. Twitter is mm-hmm. a chaos where every single day you find a, another cool Web3 startup with a cool wallpaper, cool website. And then you see LinkedIn where everything only comes up after it is more polished. They only come when, like, you know, they have raised some money or they have a proper proper roadmap to move ahead uh, and yeah we are seeing some something similar in the corporate world as well they are adopting the more they're starting small like i think twitter is doing like, taking a good step with the pfp or uh, profile mm-hmm. picture uh profile picture nft that's a good step but yeah hopefully we'll see more uh all right so we are done with web3 all these stocks you mentioned one quick thing in your in the canly you mentioned that hustling since middle school what mm-hmm. is that story
1: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I got to where I am today. I think a big part of this is a lot of self-motivation to try new things, see what's interesting for me, and um, put a lot of effort into it, right? Like, I've I've tried a lot of things from, I used to be a designer, I used to consult for, um, like, building social media platforms. Uh, The funny thing I like to say is I was a social media manager, before social media was a thing. Not really, but like, kind of. Um, I used to also want to go to school for architecture or... Photography, so a lot of different like vast different backgrounds. Um, I used to in middle school. The, the, the specific point here is I used to <laughs> uh, buy like candy and chocolate and gum at a like, local gas station right by my house because like, I would walk to school, um, and I would sell it in school and just for profit. Like it was always like you know how do I hustle? How do I you know make money? And then just like work hard. I think the big part of just generally success, but also especially so in Web three at this point in time, is that you really want to go out and figure it out for yourself a lot of this is like there's no hand holding there's no template as to how the best get involved and so at the end of the day it comes down to if you are you know a believer and want to actually participate um, get to a point where you start finding something that's interesting right that's kind of going back to what I said earlier of like it doesn't matter what one thing you're doing in crypto or web3 what matters is that find something you're passionate about keep doing that and seeing if you can then draw connections to web3 and then you probably will be able to you know have a successful know, life, career building in Web3. Um, and at the end of the day, again, it's so new. Um, the way you hustle is kind of what you get out of it, right? So um, I guess what I'm getting at broadly speaking here is that um, one, grateful for how, you know, how far I've come, but also I think a big part of this is that just keep, put, keep your head down, keep grinding, keep working. And that's kind of where you'll find the most success.
0: Hey, man, love it. I think the way you Great. mentioned that, you made me realize one of my, one of my uh, sort of dreams not dreams but i actually want to do this so maybe for masters like you know where everybody's going to science and mb and stuff mm-hmm. i'm thinking like you know after i went to new york i was into architecture and photography so i thought that hey i've done my bachelor's in nanotechnology all the cool stuff tech stuff but maybe for masters i might do like you know something different like photography or architecture that would be super cool but anyways man this was really good this was good all right where can people find you for your next investment DAO that you're coming up with
1: so the investment DAO, I guess, if you don't mind, I'll share a little more details about Go ahead. what that is. Uh, so more broadly speaking, thinking about uh, DAOs in general, the importance here is that you want community participation. And so with investment DAO, it's very similar to a VC fund or venture capital fund, where we're investing in startups, um, in this case, specifically building in Web3. The difference here is that there's community participation, decision-making, as well as financial upside. So there are some DAOs out there who made just, you know, to keep the decision making some of them might not even allow community participation in terms of you know investment returns but what i'm, I'm assessing most is two components for one the fund side where actually people participate in terms of through, through governance of like decision making to it for investments as well as actually participating in investing their own money to capture like the actual returns when these companies blow up over time but the second piece of this is education um, i'm really really passionate about just education in general because i recognize that my background my family wasn't really well educated they you know worked really hard as immigrants to come to this country and so uh, knowing that education has gotten me to where i am today I, I recognize that i really want to give back and help people also learn um i guess as a side note like i guess a long-term goal of mine is i want to be a professor someday um nice I, want, I want to teach okay. people i i meant I've i I've tutored in, in college i've been a mentor for Excel, a few different accelerators um, i've been helping working with founders for the past few years and so I, I really enjoy being able to help people. Mostly they haven't been paid for, right? It's just like, because I like doing it. And so kind of going back to this education piece of the DAO is that um, the people I want in my community are people that are passionate about learning and really, you know, self-driven and motivated to say, hey, let me find what I like doing. Let me come like participate and join. Maybe even then as they kind of learn over time, make their own content and say, help even more people, right? Come, kind of, come, come enjoy what, what threes, why these are great. Um, and so if there's ever any interest for, anyone listening that they want to participate in a venture fund that's decentralized also learn more about web3 learn more about venture investing um or just need help and i want to talk to people who if you're building a web3 you want to get into web3 um shoot me a message on twitter send me a dm um yeah i'm not sure if you'll link in the description but um yeah feel free to send me a dm and i'm happy to have a conversation and see how I can help
0: perfect and i hope i can become your minimum viable community member <laughs> soon. that's right yes all right man